listening to First Church Charlotte. Amen. God bless you all. It's an honor to have you all in the house of the Lord this morning. We pride ourselves on being the friendliest church that we can be, and we think we're the friendliest church in the city. Now, that's one area where we can actually we can actually succeed there. We certainly aren't the biggest or the richest, uh, but we are the friendliest. And if you don't believe that, just ask us, because we're very good at humility, too. They kind of go together. <laughs> it's a joy to see you all on this beautiful February. Did anybody wake up this morning, go outside and say, oh, I have it. It's February. No, you did not do that. You went outside and thought April. That's what you thought. But because you've been living good, not not been living in sin, that was last year. The Lord's been giving us some fine weather. (laughs) And so if we get any bad weather next month, I'm blaming you, just so you know. You don't get the good without the bad, right? Uh, so we're excited to be in the house of the Lord today. I want God to speak something into every one of your lives, every one of your hearts. You chose to be here today. Uh, it was your decision. Uh, there's no obligation that you had. Uh, you are mostly a free American, which is a fine way of saying you still have to pay your taxes. But with that distinction you can decide and you chose to be here today and so first of all I want to thank God for you because you're here because that you're here uh, we have created this spot of worship in the whole city uh, we have created a spot of worship a spot of devotion uh, all week long people have been distracted by everything there hasn't been a whole lot of worship going up to God but this morning right here we're trying to create this <laughs> This lily pad, so to speak, in in a in a, a dark a dark lake, and there's this 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 lily pad of praise and worship in this city that can be dark, unfortunately. And so I'm glad you're here to help us with that. If this is your uh, first visit or one of your first visits, uh, I'd love to get to know you better. I'd love you to get to know us better. Uh, I teach a class after the 11 o'clock service next door. It's at 1 p.m. and it's called First Steps. And I just introduce people to the church. I answer questions. I have a curriculum I mostly follow, uh, but we are on the third lesson today. You can start at any time. You don't have to be sequential, um, but you are welcome to that. It's a great opportunity to get to, to know one another. Sometimes the class is, is, is pretty large and gets up into the high teens. Uh, sometimes it's just me and uh, one visitor and some of our some of our leadership team stopping by. Um, actually, it's I, I enjoy it more when there's just one table of us uh, because you sit at the table with people and you really get to talk. You really get to share. And so I want you to be aware of that. I want to get to know you. And that first steps is my effort to open up myself to you. And so meet me halfway. Open up yourself to us. Uh, and that's after the 11 o'clock service. All right, let's read. John chapter number 21, and we are going to see a picture of Simon Peter. A few years back, I preached a message about Peter uh, right after he had denied the Lord three times, and the rooster said good morning to the city, and he remembered the words of Jesus, and he went out and wept bitterly, and I entitled that message about Peter, It's Not About the Rooster. (laughs) And so, in uh, continuation of that fun theme, Today, I'm going to entitle this, It's Not About the Boat. And Peter is one of those guys who has to be kind of put on the the straight and narrow. Uh, You have to tell him what to do and what not to do. And so let's read John chapter number 21. Let's start at, at verse number one. After these things, Jesus showed himself again. Somebody say again. To his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Now, John's going to tell us what happened. John tells us the story. Peter was there. Thomas was there. Nathaniel was there. The sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. Seven of 11 remaining disciples. Judas has committed suicide. There are 11 remaining. Seven of 
of them are with Peter. Why are they with Peter? Uh, because Peter woke up and said, I am going fishing. So it's interesting how your decision affects other people. And so other disciples are there and they say, well, if you're going, I'm going. And so they go out and this is the story where someone calls to them. They're toiling, they're fishing, they're catching nothing. How many of you have ever gone fishing and caught nothing? That's why they call it fishing and not catching. And so I'm an expert at going fishing and not catching anything. I'm a very good at fishing, not so good at catching. And so there's actually a metaphor there for uh, young single people, but we're going to kind of move along in a brisk manner. Uh, so you see them fishing, catching nothing. Someone calls from the seashore and calls out to this, uh, children, have you any food? And of course the answer is no. And this person from the seashore, they don't know who it is yet, says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. So in this moment, Jesus says, cast the net on the right side of the boat. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor. Say, you've been holding at your mouth wrong all this time. You may be seated. I might better explain that joke. Uh, when I was a young man, a uh, brother in the church took me fishing. My dad, in the manner of pastors, was uh, building a church. And so uh, sometimes the saint kids saw him more than I did, uh, which was okay. I was in many ways uh, indulged and spoiled, so that's fine. And I would see him uh, come and go and, and, you know, working and visiting and the like. And so he... Uh, allowed me to go fishing with a man in the church, and I had not been fishing a whole lot, didn't know what to do, and I wasn't catching anything because that's how I, you know, that's how I float. And we were in the boat, wasn't catching anything, and uh, he, he, he played a joke on me, a trick on me. He told me quite seriously that I, I was holding my mouth wrong in order to catch fish. Have any of you ever had an older man play this joke on you? Okay, thank God we have some saved people here today and a whole lot of sinners that I can preach to. That's wonderful. So he told me I was holding my mouth di uh, wrong, and I was, I was suspect, but my dad wasn't a big teaser. Uh, my kids would never fall for this because I, I, I tease them nonstop. They have very good filter for being uh, told crazy things. But I was like, really? He was like, yes, there's something that happens on the lake, and I was like, how can the fish even see me? And he explained how the, 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 the sky is blue. Why is it blue? It reflects the color of the water. That's why it's blue. And, and so the fish are able to see your reflection in the sky just as you're able to see them in the water. And I just was so suspicious. But for a little while, he had me holding my mouth very awkwardly. Still didn't catch anything. And finally, he told me, look, I was playing a joke on you. It doesn't matter how you hold your mouth. Okay, so uh, we see this story, and the Bible gives us this uh, almost, almost, uh, uh, not, not to be in any way uh, irreverent, not, not to be inappropriate, but it almost seems silly, if you'll forgive me for looking at it just from the perspective of a fisherman. Uh, it almost seems silly to say you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. It almost seems as though somebody is playing a joke on you. It's almost as though someone says you're not holding your mouth right, or you're, 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 on, you're casting on the wrong side. You need to be on the other side of the boat. And so, uh, I, I don't know exactly what these disciples thought in this moment where some stranger on the shore calls out to them, cast on the other side of the boat. But when you are facing a long sequence of failure, there's this point you reach where you nearly will try anything. How many have ever been there? You nearly try anything. Uh, you know the old saying, the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expect different results? A lot of wisdom in that. Uh, 
It's one of those kind of urban legends that is, in this case, mostly true. If you want to produce change, you need to do different things. Uh, people wonder how much money they have in the future. Uh, well, it's really easy. About how much money are you saving right now is a really close approximation of how much money you'll have in the future. And if you don't change how much you're saving, well, don't be surprised. I'm, I'm depressing you, I know. I should move along. So uh, here, maybe they are frustrated enough that they say, okay, why not? Let's throw on the other side of the boat. But in this moment, uh, what they don't realize is that that is not just anybody on the seashore calling out to them. It's not just this random person. It is, of course, the one they have spent three and a half years following. It's the one they have seen raise the dead. It's the one they have seen heal blinded eyes. It is the master who has opened of the treasures and the riches of heaven and poured into them through his words insight and truth. They have seen him break bread and feed thousands. They have seen him where people of faith tore open a roof and lowered a lame man through the roof and Jesus healed that man. They have seen this man become more than just a man in their own estimation until Peter, that natural leader among them, speaks for them all when he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. They've been introduced to Jesus. I want to introduce anybody who does not have that introduction. I want to introduce you to Jesus. He's more than just a man. Can I have a witness? He's more than just a philosopher, more than a religious teacher, more than a seeker of truth. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so they are they are in this in-between season of their life. So let me explain. Now, when Jesus was walking with them, they thought they knew how, the, how it all would work. Uh, they knew if he was there, they, were, uh, they had leadership among them. He told them he had to go away. This caused pain. This caused confusion. But it even caused more pain and confusion when he actually went away. And they watched him betrayed by Judas. They watched him taken to Pilate's hall. Uh, they watched him beaten and scourged and, and whipped within an inch of his life. And they've seen him die on Mount Golgotha. And they are now in the period where they perceive themselves to have gambled and lost. They believed and it didn't work out. They, they, they invested in this kingdom of heaven idea and it all ended in blood and sorrow. And then, quite to their amazement, a rumor comes to them in the form of a woman whom has credibility with them and they trust. And she says, I've seen Jesus alive, just as he said. It wasn't long after that, that Jesus first appears to them. Peter leaves running to go look at the tomb where they lay Jesus. You guys know the story. They are at a stage of maximum, how shall we say, um, confusion. They, they, they don't know what is going on. They want so much to believe that this kingdom of heaven has been introduced to them. They want to believe that Christ is resurrected just as he said. And the church age will begin just as he said. But in the meantime, they're, they don't know what to do with themselves. I have a lot of sympathy for this because I, at various seasons in my life, have felt like I was living between what God had done and what God wanted to do. Let me say that again because I want it to resonate with you. I have, in my life, lived those days and months and maybe even years where I felt like I was stuck idling between what God had done and what God would do. And I did not know exactly how to comport myself in the transition. And I did not know what the transition meant for me. I did not know what my work, my role, I did not know where I fit. And I will be as transparent as possible today and share with you that spiritually, the most painful years of my life have been the years of in-between. The most 
painful seasons of my life spiritually have been the days, the months, the years where I was being held by the leading of God in my own particular wilderness of becoming. My own particular season of personal change where I had to become something different in the hand of God and the molding process and the, 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 the forming process was being wrought on me, but my impatience made me think I was ready now. I did not want to wait. I did not want to sit silently. I wanted to do it now. I wanted to have it now. And God said, <clears throat> no, if he said anything. <clears throat> And he let me wait. I want you to know that it is in those seasons of your life where you learn how to deal with the trouble and the storm and the pain and the loss. And if you don't learn how to deal with the storm and the trouble and the pain and the loss, then you are useless to the kingdom of God in your future. Because there is no end to trial and there is no limit to struggle until Christ calls us home and we are gathered to him. There are, we are a part of a spiritual contest of wills between the kingdom of heaven that beckons hearts of men and women to a spiritual uh, revolution, so to speak, a spiritual recreation, so to speak, and a world that says you are your own deity, serve yourself, Pursue your own lusts. Make it all about you. Follow in the path of Lucifer and make a life that is essentially a life of rebellion that hasn't submission in it, that hasn't spiritual humility in it, that hasn't a discipline of repentance in it, but it's simply the celebration of you. And it's in between what you were and what God has done and what you will be and what God will do that we just throw our hands in the air and say, I'm going fishing. Now, we're not talking about recreation, my friends. We're not talking about, hey, guys, let's have a men's outing and go fishing. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about going back to the old us before God started working on us the first time. We're talking about going back to the original call before God gave us a call. We're going back to our vision of ourselves before Christ. And so when Peter says, I'm going fishing, he's saying, I'm going to go back to the career I had before Jesus ever called my name. I'm going back to the lifestyle I had before there was ever an opportunity offered to me in the kingdom of God. And this is what is so dangerous about giving up on your faith. It doesn't just end up with Peter on the boat. It ends up with the majority of these God-called, God-anointed men going back to the life they had known before. Do you see? When we are tempted to give up, when we are tempted to go back to the old us, it's not simply us that is influenced by that. There are people that watch us. There are people that grow strong through our fight. There are people who are victorious through us keeping up the faith. And so if you're struggling and you don't know if you can keep it up, you will be made stronger when you realize if there's somebody depending on you. You will be made more, more spiritually uh, resolute and shall we say even tough-minded if you'll recognize there's more at stake than just you. If you will let your eyes get off of you and get on of others, you'll be stronger than you ever thought you would be. And so Peter, he unfortunately drags all the guys along with him. And so I always like to tease people if they miss church. If they don't come back, I'm quitting too. Um, I, I like to tease them with that. I told a friend of mine this week, I said, look, you're, you don't want to be responsible for the preacher quitting church. Just think of the devastation you will have wrought. And of course, we're laughing and cutting up. And I, I, I'm, of course, I'm just having fun. I'm not quitting for any of you suckers. I'm going to hold on to the bitter end. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, let's just be, let's just get real. You know what I mean? Just because you're hide wants that future. I don't want that future. No, sir. I want to make heaven my home. I want to I wanna make it all the way home. I'm going to fight. I, uh, but you're not perfect. Well, wow, you're a genius, aren't you? Of course I'm not perfect, but I'm not giving up. Of course I've got problems, but I'm not giving up. I'm holding on. I'm holding on. I'm, I'm going to, I'm not letting go. That's right, my brother. And so here, here you see, 
you, 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 of course, I'm having fun when I say that, but, you know, there's a smidgen of, of truth in that. It's, it's, it is this, you know, it's probably not going to be the preacher, but there's other people watching you. There's other people keying off of you that you can be a witness to them and an influence in their life. And so Peter, he drags the whole bunch out with them. You know, it's like one person comes to church and the next thing you know, the church splits. It's like a guy talking about his crazy ex-wife, you know, and I'm like, well, how many ex-wives do you have? And he says, three. I said, honey, it's you who are crazy. It's not them women. <laughs> they all agree with each other. They're like, yep, he's nuts. We're up out of here. You're the one who's like, Ooh. I mean, you're the one crazy. Anyway, that counseling session didn't go really well, but, you know, I was trying to speak the truth in love like the Bible says, and the scripture says offense must come, and I just want to be a blessing. All right. So I'm having fun. Sorry for that little aside there. So Peter drags them all out there, and they, of course, uh, don't do very good at this change. And um, I, I want you to see something very interesting here as a kind of a contextual understanding. If you turn back one chapter in the book of John, it you see that John ends the gospel of the, the testimony, shall I say, of Jesus in chapter number 20. Let me read the last uh, verse in chapter number 20. This is the chapter before the story of Peter. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That sounds like the ending, right? It's like the ending of the gospel right there. It's a, it kind of, it's a natural conclusion. Now, when you turn the page to chapter number 21, you read the story that is of the disciples being regathered back in the kingdom of heaven and the purpose of the kingdom of heaven after the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter, uh, he is out on the ship. He's given up and Jesus comes and calls from the seashore. Seashore, you know the story. Are you catching anything? Do you have any meat? And they're like, no, we don't have anything. He says, catch throw your nets on the other side of the boat, and uh, they do, and they catch a whole lot of fish. Well, the boats back then, um, a, a boat that they would have used on the Sea of Galilee was not a large ship. Uh, if you're thinking in terms of like a modern ship or even a, a Mayflower-sized ship, you are way, way off. You need to think in terms of open rowing boats. So a large open rowing boat used in fishing at this time, a very large one, would have maybe been in the 20 something feet. That would be a large one. Uh, most of them would range uh, in that high teens, uh, somewhere to the high 20s type of a, a fishing boat. Uh, they were, they're so small that a group of men can push them on and off the beach. This is a kind of a fishing that is still practiced in this part of the world. You can like just uh, push them, not in, 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 in Israel, but in parts of the world. You can just push them right off the, the beach or the shell, whatever on and get right in the boat and you row. I mean, the boat is probably about as wide as from this speaker to that speaker. That's, that's about how wide uh, this boat would be. That actually would be a pretty wide one. I would say if I had to guess, it probably would be somewhere in the middle of each speaker. So you get, a, you get an idea of the size of this boat. Well, let's say you have a large school of fish. Um, it's probably bigger than this. And so, if you think about it, there's not much point in if your nets are here or if your nets are here. And I mean that literally. I mean, there's only like six, seven feet here. Uh, maybe, maybe nine or ten max. I mean, this is, this, is, this is the difference in the net. Now, I thought about this and I tried to rationalize it in some way. And I thought maybe, maybe there was on one side of the boat, there was a shadow of the boat. And on the other side of the boat, there wasn't. But remember, Peter's a fisherman. And he would know if the shadow made a difference. Uh, it's not about which side of the boat you're fishing on. That is the important thing. It is about evidence that with Christ, your life becomes blessed and fruitful. And without Christ, you struggle in the same old mess that you've been living with week after week after week after week after week. Disillusionment is a real problem in this modern society. We are uh, wealthier than we've ever been. Do you realize if you have a smartphone in your, in your pocket or in your purse, you have more information 
more faster delivered than the president did 20 years ago. Do you realize that? You right now can see what the traffic in Tehran is doing right now. Just pull it out, boom, go there, pull up maps, you'll see. Uh, The president wouldn't have known what the traffic in Tehran Tehran was doing. You get the idea. Just 20 years ago, they wouldn't have known that uh, near as much as as you would know that now. Um, And and if I'm off by a decade or so in my estimation, you get the idea. We're wealthy in so many things. Uh, In the 19th century, the richest man in the world who was, by comparison, I believe, uh, richer than any of our modern uh, titans of industry, Nathaniel Rothschild, um, he died. He died from what? He died from an infected boil on his back. He was a billionaire, and they uh, were so, he was yet so poor, he died from an infected boil. Today, the poorest person in America could go to any clinic and get a shot and be made whole, and if you doubt, I promise you, Nathaniel Rothschild would have traded every bit of money he had for that vaccine that you take for granted. We are all of us blessed in so many, many ways, whether it is health, whether it is wealth, whether it is entertainment, whatever it is. You know, the great history of the evangelistic movement is back before there was a lot of sources of entertainment. So my grandparents uh, were saved in a tent revival in Texas, and these small farming communities, uh, uh, an evangelist would show up and they'd have a guitar and an accordion and they would sing and the whole community would come out because they had nothing else to do. They would come out and they'd all gather around under this tent and they literally would have the whole community show up to pl- strum a guitar and sing along with an accordion, people just gathering up. I actually saw this in action here recently up in Boone, North Carolina. There's this little town center in Boone. Uh, my family was up there and uh, we were walking along the little town looking for an ice cream shop because that's how I work, you know, ice cream on vacation. And so uh, we heard Christian gospel music. And we walked around, and in the middle of the town center, there was this little group of people sitting on chairs, playing guitars, and all singing. And, and people would just walk by and sing along with them a little bit, and then move along, and someone else would come. It was like a town sing-along. Wouldn't that be awesome if people would do that? Uh, that, was, that, was, that was kind of the story of the evangelistic uh, movement with tent revivals. That's how it happened. Uh, nowadays, if we're lucky if we get people uh, to get off Netflix binging and turn off the NFL and God help us through the Olympics, I, I am here to tell you curling is not more entertaining than church. <laughs> If you would like, I will get Don and Ed to go get brooms, and while I preach, they walk around in front of me and sweep the floor. If that will make you, if you will be like, oh, notice the curve to the concrete, whatever it's called, puck. You see what I'm saying? Nowadays, we are so wealthy in so many things, but we've developed this meaning problem. People are so confused as to what it all means. They don't know what their life should be. They don't know where they fit. And this is showing up in huge, huge social problems that we don't know what to do with. Let me name a few of them for. Our world has become so meaningless and nihilistic. There's a fine $5 philosophical word for you. It means you don't believe in anything. There's no meaning. Nothing matters. Our world has become so nihilistic and so meaningless that we have a problem of people. They would rather end their life early chasing an opioid high than love their kids, love their family, raise their kids, have a career. They choose that over everything else, and it is so bad that for the first time in the history of America, the age of life expectancy is turning down and because people are dying from the opioid crisis. That is me. Let me tell you something. The next person that makes fun of church, you tell them to solve the drug problem. People need meaning in their life. The next person that say God doesn't matter, say, what's your plan to solve the opioid crisis? People need meaning. And the best meaning that is available to anybody is to have a relationship with their Savior, a relationship with their Creator. 
And it's even worse than that. People, for no good reason, no obvious reason, feel like the only chance they have for the world to understand their pain is for them to go out and cause as much pain and suffering as possible. The man who killed all those people in Vegas, he was wealthy. He had money. He could do anything he wanted to do. And you know what he chose to do? He chose to kill mothers and sons and daughters and grandfathers. He thought his only way to authenticity was to cause as much pain as possible. Yes, we are richer than we've ever been. Yes, our society has more entertainment than it ever had. But it is not solving the problem of what do we do with all that we have. I want to tell you something here today. After you have come into a relationship with Almighty God, there will be nothing else that ever satisfies you. Nothing else. I hope you do well in business. I pray you do well in business. I pray you can handle it when you do well in business. That's not going to satisfy you because you know what it is to have the presence of God in your life, in your heart, enveloping you, embracing you, loving you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm preaching a little bit negative here today, but I want you to know this is the challenge that all of us face when we're stuck between our exposure to a better way, the kingdom of heaven, and the reality that we are not who we thought we were. We need a revolution. We need change. We need spiritual regeneration. Peter gives up and goes fishing, and Jesus meets him right in his place of quitting and says, I want you to try something different. Cast the nets on the other side of the boat. Hear me. It's not about the boat. It's not about the boat. It's not a new technique of fishing. It's not a style. It's not about the nets. It's not about continuing and surprise success in going back to the old me. That's not what it's about. This is what it's about. This is a new thing. And in order for it to be brought to fruition, you have to become a new you. You see, what Peter should be doing is he should be gathering his friends and his family and making his way back to the upper room and tarrying until he be endued with power from heaven. Why should he be doing that? That's what God told him to do. Can I have a big amen? That was what God was leading him to. He is going to receive the gift of tongues there. It is tongues that is going to be an evidence to him that God has empowered him, that God has committed to him, and he is not simply stuck in his own abilities. It is that place where this revolution of experience, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit is an experience that we, each of us receive. It is, tongues is not the Holy Spirit. Tongues is the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit. You should believe and pray for the gift of tongues in your life that you might be filled with confidence, that you might be filled with hope, that you might turn back away from the old way of doing things and embrace the new. Sometimes we have such a problem with new things. Let me, let me talk about churches here for a moment. Uh, churches a lot of times get stuck in a certain thing, uh, a certain way of doing things. And if you, if you try to, there's a joke about trying to change a church. Uh, John Maxwell has this famous quote where he says, um, look, if you, if you want to move the piano, he's talking to preachers who to go on to a new church to be a pastor. He said, if you want to make move the piano, that's okay. But remember, you can only move it one inch at a time. <laughs> um, the, the, the idea is that no matter what we do uh, as a, a church, no matter what we do, that it, uh, it's, it's not so much now, but there were times when you could change anything and somebody in the church would be terrified. Someone in the church would look, uh, oh boy, um, well, let's, you, 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 you put up curtains. I just don't know. That's, that's like a theater. We don't need the spirit of a theater. We need the power of God. I'm like, honey, it's not about the curtains. <laughs> Uh, what's this business about, you know, mentoring kids? Uh, we need to be getting kids prayed through to the Holy Ghost. Yeah, but if we don't even know them, it's kind of hard to pray them through to the Holy Ghost. But let's not talk about that. Uh, well, I don't know about this, this screens in the church. When I, was, when I was coming up, the big deal the big deal was good tars in the church. If you had good tars in the church, it was a rock and roll concert. I loved me some rock and roll, too. I, 
I did, man. I wanted guitars in the church. I thank God. Now I get as many of them as I can. We don't have two drummers up here, do we? No, we have two or three guitar players, though, don't we? That's right. I showed them suckers, didn't I? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the Bible says stringed instruments. <laughs> anyway, so... And my Lord, you notice our guitar players have enough pedals up here. They've got like pedals for everything. They don't even have to pray. <laughs> they have a pedal for it. I mean, look at all these pedals. They're like uh, playing, oh, need someone to get baptized? <laughs> That's the baptism button. <laughs> I need me one of those Holy Spirit buttons. You come down here like, <laughs> you fall out. As long as the goal is the same, which side of the boat you're fishing on doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, some people by personality, they want to live their whole life within the sound of the church bell. That, that's not my personality. I want to build a mission by the gates of hell. Does that make sense? And so uh, it's a different concept. It's a, it's a different uh, uh, idea and thinking of these things. And so uh, the best story of this, let me just share this with you. I'm almost done, uh, so don't be discouraged. Um, uh, the best example of this is a story in the Old Testament uh, between the, 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 the Gideonites and the uh, uh, Ephraimites. And they're at war. They, they should have been brethren of a sort, but they're at war. And they are... One side is one, and they set up roadblocks for the escaping members of the, of the Ephraimites. And the Ephraimites, in their language, they have no sh sound, no sh sound. And so if you never learned how to say that, some of you see this in accents even now. Um, it's like, I think, I think if you grew up speaking French, you don't say, is it ours you don't say very well? Something like that. Um, uh, if you grow up speaking Latin, you probably roll your R's. Repent. Well, if that doesn't work, nothing's going to work. <laughs> um, well, in, this, in these two tribes, the, the Ephraimites had no sh sound, S-H, sh, sh. Uh, and so when the uh, Gileadites set the roadblocks up, they made them say shibboleth. You've heard of shibboleth before? They, they said shibboleth. And so, if they couldn't say shibboleth, they said ibboleth. And you know what they did with them when they said ibboleth? Killed them. Kind of a sad picture of the human condition, right? If you can't say shibboleth, it means you're a child of Ephraim, and they killed you. Well, what does shibboleth mean? What, what does the word mean? Does anybody, anybody know what the word means? Any Bible scholars? disappointed in you, Don. All that quote is doing you no good. Uh, shibboleth means harvest. See, Dewan would have got that. Dewan would have my God, that'll preach right there. <laughs> but he's preaching somewhere this Sunday, so you know. Harvest. How do you say harvest? If you don't say harvest the way I say harvest, I'm going to kill you. from the Bible study chart I teach from. If you don't have church with the offering after the solo, not before the solo, then you're saying harvest different than me. If you don't have a first steps class like Pastor Nate, I just don't see how you can be saved. I'm just being honest. You guys who haven't gone through first steps, I just, I'm wondering, I don't see how you can be saved. I'm worried about you. I'm teasing. Um, saying it doesn't matter how you say harvest as long as we're in the field yes you can say harvest differently than me i've seen people build missions work by setting up a coffee shop literally on foreign fields they set up free coffee people stop by for coffee and they serve good coffee too and they talk to them about the bible they built a missions work out of that i've seen other people set up tents we have churches uh they they, they still do tent revivals and uh it's fun it's awesome we do all kinds it doesn't matter how you say shibboleth i'm not going to kill you i'm going to join you in the field and we're going to gather the harvest Peter, you're going to have to do new things. You, 
can't be stuck in the same old you. You're going to have to cast your nets on the other side of the boat. It's not about the nets, Peter. It's not about the boat, Peter. It's about you seeing a new path in God, a new opportunity. I have been praying this whole year, God, show me a path. Show me what you want to do. Show me how we can, and let me tell you, uh, this is my 9 a.m. service, so I'll indulge you guys. I don't know if I'll tell this to my 11 a.m. service. We'll see. Um, But since y'all are the spiritual people who got up early and came to the house of the Lord, not sleeping in with the sons of slumber. The Bible talks about the sons of slumber. That's right. My wife is a sister of slumber. She can say her shh. You hear that? She's not a child of Ephraim, that's for sure. She's a Gileadite killer. (laughs) What was I talking about? Oh. For years, our church spends several thousand dollars every Easter inviting people to come to Easter. Um, I think last year we spent, I don't know exactly, but if you add it all up, I think it's close to $7,000 between the mailing and the shipping and other things that we did around that time. A lot of money uh, invited people out for Easter because that was, you know, it was Easter. We thought that was the, that's what to do. And and I I was praying about it and I just, Lord, give me some sense. Y'all probably don't pray this way, but sometimes I pray like this, Lord, would you give me some understanding? I I don't want to be just beating the wind. Give me, give me. And and one of the things that I, I decided in prayer to do this year was um, I'm not going to spend $7,000 on an invitation to ask people to do something for us. Come have church with us on Easter. I'm going to take the same $7,000 or whatever whatever it works out to be. And I'm going to tell them what we want to do for them. Does that make sense? I'm going to take about $1,500, $2,000, and we're going to do a Prosper University mailing to every home that has children in it in a several-mile radius around the church. This is what we want to do for you. I'm going to take a, another couple thousand dollars, and we're going to, we're going to promote a, a, a G1 students. This is what our student ministry is doing. To all, if we can buy the mailing list that has all the teenagers in the whole region around, we want to send them something and say, this is what we're doing for you. We're not asking. I'm not going to send, spend a single dime asking people to come uh, do something for us. I'm going to rely on you to invite your friends and your family. I'm relying on you. I'm, I'm completely relying on you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take the same money and I'm going to throw it on the other side of the boat. I don't know where we're going to put the kids for Prosper You. We're at capacity, but that's a different problem for someone else to solve. I don't have that problem. That's that team problem. I'm going home and going to bed. I'm leaving it with them. I don't have to worry about solving the G1, where we're going to do it, how we're going to I'm not worried about that. I'm casting my nets on the other side. This is the reality. The opportunity that God has put before us. It's bigger than us. It's scary bigger than us. And we are ever so aware of our limitations. And no one has to tell us you're not a superstar. And no one has to say, honestly, you're not a rock star. No one has to do that. You can look in the mirror and see that. And the thought of who and how and why and when I can be what God wants me to be, I don't even know. But when he calls to me from the seashore and says, try something different, cast it on the other side of the boat. I'm going to take my nets and I'm throwing it on the other side of the boat. And I'm believing for a harvest that is so large that the nets themselves are in danger of breaking. But God knows how to put just enough fish in the net. In the gospel, it was 153 fish. That's how much the net could take before it break. He gave him 153 fish. I don't know how much our net can take, but God, you know, we don't want to lose them. We don't want to have them slip away. We want to cast our nets on the other side. I want you to know this. If you're going back to the old style of thinking, the old way of being, the old manner of worshiping, if you're going back to the old you, Christ is calling you from the seashore of your life. And he's saying to you a very subtle message. He's very gentle. He wants to show you that you have miraculous 
can be in your hands. Miracles flow through you. He wants you to come ashore and see who he is. He wants to feed you a fish fry uh, and give you some sustenance after a long night of suffering. Uh, And then he wants to remind you, follow me, Peter. Follow me. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. This is not the way. This is not the place. Go to Jerusalem. And you're going to be filled with life-changing power of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. Let's all stand. Step out of the chair you're in right now. Let's come gather across the front. I feel the presence of the Lord here today. Somebody needs to let their faith respond to the call of the Savior in their life. You need to let your life respond to the beckoning of Jesus in your life. And you need to say, yes, Lord. You need to say, yes, Lord. I am here. I am willing. I will go. Send me. I will go. Send me. Yes, Lord. My heart is open. These are my hands, Lord. These are my feet. Would you lead me? Would you guide me? I want you to know some of you guys are amazing soul winners. You just need to catch the vision. Some of you guys are amazing Bible study teachers. You just need to catch the vision. Some of you guys are amazing at mentoring young people and children. You don't realize it yet, but you just need to catch the vision. Some of you are going to have miracles flow through your hands. You just need to catch the vision. Some of you are going to see great testimonies when you speak that testimony to other people, your testimony. You're going to see out of that a great harvest of testimonies come. Let's pray together right now, Lord Jesus. We are your children. We are the sheep of your pasture. We are not our own. We have been ordained and purchased by you. And Lord, we must be changed from the old version of ourselves. We must be changed into who we can be in you and through you. Lord, I want to speak for a Holy Spirit regeneration to to somehow be birthed within each one of us. Lord, let us find that upper room of our private life in our individual consecration. Let us find that upper room and let us be changed. Let us go from being a quitter to being a preacher. Let us go from being the person who would not even try to the person who stands up on the day of Pentecost and says, repent and be baptized. Lord Jesus, let us, let us be the individual who doesn't just lead people to the place of quitting, but we lead people back to the upper room of spiritual regeneration. Lord, let it happen in our lives. Let it happen in our hearts. Let us be changed. Let us be empowered. Let us be spiritually directed. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, church, right now. Call out to the Lord in your heart. Call out to the Lord. We want to be your hands. We want to be your hands, oh God. In Jesus' name. If there's anyone... If there's anyone here who has, you have not in your personal life experienced tongues, and it seems a little bit kind of uh, crazy to you, I want you to know that's okay. Um, You would not have your confidence absolutely revolutionized by something that was ordinary. (laughs) It would have to be something extraordinary to have you really have a confidence change and that's what happened to the disciples I don't want to say you've never had the Holy Spirit in your life I don't I don't want to say the Spirit of the Lord doesn't work with you um, that 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 is too far all of us have the Spirit of the Lord working with us and leading us some of you had the Spirit of the Lord met you on a bar stool somewhere and led you all the way into the house uh, and so it's 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 not something whereby the church is trying to decide who's saved and who's not saved I know a lot of people do that because it's simple for them. Uh, the Bible always describes the Holy Spirit as a gift in your life. It does. It, it, it's a gift. And you need to see it that way. And so when you worship and praise, you need to think of it as God's gift to you. Uh, churches sometimes can, we, uh, particularly if we've had the Holy Ghost a long time ourselves, uh, we can create this sense of disappointment when someone doesn't receive the Holy Ghost. You know, they've repented of their sins, all heaven's rejoicing, and the church is like, maybe next Sunday. <laughs> you know, step with heaven that it's a gift to you and you say i i I don't know i I haven't had it i I don't know what's going to happen if you will begin to praise the lord with all your heart in your life doesn't matter where you are we had a a situation this week uh, this week a great testimony um, of uh, uh, given to us
us, uh, Brother Tony Clark and his wife Joyce were out of job. Brother Tony runs a, uh, a stump grinding business, so if you have any stumps, he can grind your stumps for you. And uh, Joyce went with him to make sure he kept working, you know, because us men would quit work. No, I'm teasing. She went with him and she saw a neighbor uh, over uh, on a porch and just decided she'd be friendly and through the process of being friendly uh, they got to talking about church and she told her about receiving the Holy Holy Spirit herself and the lady said I've never I've always wanted to receive it I haven't received it long story short Joyce prayed this lady through to the Holy Spirit with tongues sitting on her porch yesterday it was experience for her it was experience for her and uh, after that, the lady could hardly stand because of a bad knee. And uh, Joyce was explaining to her that you, there's a Holy Spirit in you. You need to have faith and confidence. You need to see that as evidence of God with you. You can, you can even pray for yourself. So the woman prayed for her own knee. And uh, the Lord healed her knee on her porch. She jumped off the porch, started running around the house, running around the yard. <laughs> crazy, crazy story. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, and, and, and she's like jumping over the trees they're cutting down. And Joyce is like, oh, my God. Oh, oh no, no. No, stop, stop. She's like, whoa, Olympics. <laughs> Receiving the Holy Spirit is not about being spooky. It's about God giving you confidence in your life to believe him. It's not about being spooky. It's not about seeing demons and angels. No, that's the wrong path. It's about confidence in your life. So I want to pray for everyone here today who you have not received something like that in your life. And you'd, you'd like to start moving in that direction. Uh, we'll help you. Uh, our church is good at that. We will help you. Uh, I'll get you anything, questions, all that stuff. We'll, we'll help you with that. But let, let's pray right now. Lord, I pray as a church we'll be filled with your spirit. And that we would not simply have a confidence that you're working with us, God. But we would have that transformation experience whereby we know we are anointed and we are guided and we are empowered by your spirit. I pray for everyone here today that they would have faith in their life enough to believe and, and hope for a, a, a Holy Spirit experience in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. 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 Amen, 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 amen. Yes, praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen. Yes, God bless you all. We love you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Have a great week in Jesus' name. Uh, remember my first steps class if you'd like to come to that at 1 o'clock. We love you. Have a great week in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.